Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen here with Life Coach Cindy Chavez. Today is Wednesday, May the 13th, 2020, 4 p.m. New York time. And wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining us for another episode of LOA Today, your daily dose of happy. And we're in our third of three do- of five doses this week. I love the doses. I, every time I get a dose, Cindy, and we were talking about this just before we started, right? Every time I, I get this dose, it's like, oh, this is better. I don't know why anyone would, would want to do drugs when you can do something like this. This is so much better. It's healthier. It's more fun. It feels good, and you don't have months of rehab afterward. I mean, it's great. No hangover. No hangover. Right? Nope. <laughs> nope. Well, yeah. I mean, I I think that it's. Uh, we were talking about the music, our bumper music too, and how how much we love it. Yep. <laughs> I remember. I remember like a year or so ago, something happened, and and, and the podcast listeners could hear the music, but I couldn't hear it. Yes. And you were like, oh, we got to get that fixed. Like, That's I can't right. do the show if I can't hear that little music at the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's a pick-me-up. Yeah. I was really glad when I found that piece. I found that about, I don't know, four or five years ago, something like that. Um, and I'd been using another piece before that, but it was kind of old-fashioned and kind of cutesy and didn't really do as well. And then I heard this one. It's like, yeah, found it. Yep, Got that's, it. that's the one. <laughs> yeah, I've been using it ever since. So how are you doing? How's your I, week been? My week has been pretty well. Um, I've been, I noticed that yesterday I... I was feeling some of the things that I was hearing other people talk about. It was kind of funny. I had uh, a bunch of people in, I guess it was Monday, all say mm-hmm. the same thing. They were all saying that that mentally, emotionally, they were fine. Like they didn't, they weren't afraid of what was going on. They didn't feel fearful. They didn't feel worried that, but for some reason, they were having a lot of brain fog and like, you know, um, walking into a room and not knowing like, wait, why did I come in here? You know, that kind of trouble with really clear thinking and, um, and it's called allostatic load. I think we talked about this last week. It right. is the wear and tear on your physical body. And remember your emotions are in your physical body, <laughs> feelings and emotions. That's how your body talks to you. And, from it happens from chronic stress Mm. and the thing that i'm always reminding people is that you know when when someone says i'm so stressed out for me anyway i even knowing what i know the first thing i think of is oh something bad must be happening right (laughs) yes if we had to list like things that get people stressed out we would say oh they're working too hard or maybe they Mm. lost their job or and we'd Mm -hmm. list all these things that were like oh yeah we don't want to go through that chronic pain, maybe they're sick, but happy things create stress too. Vacations are stressful, actually. Having babies is, you know, new baby in the house is stressful. Weddings, stressful parties, stressful. Those are all things that we think of as, you know, if, if when I came on the show and said, I'm getting married next week, it was a happy thing, right? But there's, there's a level of stress, even to happy things, because they are a change. They are something different. They're not things that we go through on autopilot because we have to use parts of our brain that we're not using all the time. So this whole pandemic has caused a great weight of that allostatic load on people, whether we're fearful or not, whether we're worried or not, whether we're sick or not, um, because everything has changed. And so, you know, be easy with yourself if you're realizing that your mental processes aren't as sharp as you like them to be, or you're not sleeping as well as you want to sleep or whatever. It's all part of the thing that we're all, you know, experiencing. Very much true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It also occurs to me that when we're talking about how stresses show up in all kinds of forms in all areas of our lives, like you said, virtually anytime there's a change, it raises a question in my mind. The question is, I wonder if as time goes on, as those of us particularly who practice what we often call conscious or deliberate creation, working on our vibrations, trying to stay in that high vibe place and so forth. um, I wonder that as we do that, I wonder if we become more adaptable to change and less impacted in a stressful way by change. In other words, I wonder if we become more, um, more resilient and less resistant to changes that occur so that they, they have less of a stress impact upon ourselves? Um, it's a really good question. You know, like I said, you asked me how I was doing it. This is what I noticed yesterday with myself. 
I noticed like a, I'm not a person that gets irritated easily. So mm. irritability, that's not something I really experience too much, but right. it's certainly something I have experienced. I noticed that yesterday and, and it was like, I couldn't even pinpoint, you know, sometimes you can pinpoint it, right? You say, oh, sure. my computer's acting up. I'm so irritated, right? But this was just like this sense of irritability. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh, <laughs> this is that thing I've been explaining to everyone else about. Yeah, I'm human too, and it's happening to me. No, so, no, it can't be me too. No. <laughs> so, but here's the thing with deliberate creation and conscious creation, and we're working on our thought processes. I think that most people who begin practicing some form of deliberate creation um, become more aware. I mean, hopefully we come more, become more aware of our thoughts and our thought processes. Mm -hmm. Uh, We catch our thinking processes a little bit easier because we are intending to Mm. like, right. I mean, Mm -hmm. when you realize when you first learn about this stuff and you learn that, well, thoughts create things, um, what's the first thing that you normally would start to do is pay attention to your thoughts. Right. Oh, sure. Right. So in that sense, I think, yes, I think the answer is yes, that we do become maybe less resistant to change. But part of that also is kind of a personality thing. Right. Um, None of us like change wholesale, but some of us are much more comfortable with it than others. And I think part of that is just there's a lot of factors. Right. Like people that moved around a lot when they were kids. Um, maybe they're, it's easier for them. I, I even know people that moved so much as children, like they were military families or something. And, you know, they moved every year or so. And in their adult life, they like want to move, like they want to be moving. Right. Mm-hmm. And me, on the other hand, you know, I think about my husband who his folks still own the house he was born in. So it's like, he lived in the same house his entire life until he went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in like a couple of houses most of my young life. And so I'm totally fine. I, I'm, I'm kind of resistant to change sometimes if it's big change. I, I, I think astrology plays into it. Um, I, I'm pretty grounded. I like the way things are. <laughs> sometimes I struggle against things being different. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's a really personal thing. It's a good, also, it's a good you, question. You, you raised the, the point earlier about, even when it's situations where we're doing something happy, where we're doing something fun, yeah. there can be stress involved. Right. And, and yet I still have the question in my mind, is it a, the same level of stress as when we're doing something we really don't want to do? And, and my instant reaction is, well, no, it's not the same level of stress at all. There is going to be stress involved, but it's going to be of a different quality and a different quantity, I would think. Well, you know, there is this idea that, um, we don't like change that that primal part of our brain does not like change. Mm -hmm. And so this is the part that's really important to conscious creators, because generally speaking, when people start to practice deliberate creation, they're trying to create something they consider good. Right. Right. We create all kinds of stuff. Anyway, I mean, (laughs) most of it, I think the majority of us, when we get into deliberate creation, we decide that we want to create better health, better relationships, more money, better, more abundance, better experiences, more opportunities. So things that would go in the good column. Right. And a lot of times we subconsciously resist those good changes because number one, it's change and it's the unknown. And number two, because part of us is getting a payoff out of whatever we're doing right now. That's an interesting point right there. Cause we've talked about that payoff before yeah. and that payoff is often subtle. It's often hidden. It's often outside of our conscious awareness, but it's there and it shows up. And then we say, well, why didn't I get what I wanted? Why didn't it work out the way I wanted it to work out? I didn't have a payoff on that. I wanted this thing. I didn't want the other thing to happen. But it turns out when, on some level we did. When my son was in uh, probably first year of college, last year of high school, maybe the summer, um, he was a huge LSU fan. Okay. Big, big, big football fan. Mm-hmm. And he was in between jobs and he was looking for a job. 
and football season was coming up. And he was well qualified for all these jobs and he kept put, he was just putting tons of applications and resumes out and the people would interview him and say, oh, we have a couple more people to interview, but we can tell you right now that we're going to be calling you because you're exactly what we want. You, uh-huh. you know. So he left every interview, right? Coming home saying like, oh, I think I got this one. They love me. Great. Nobody was calling back. Mm. Nobody was calling back. And at one point, I, I never forget this. Um, I was sitting in my room, in my bed, reading a book, getting ready to lights out. And he knocked on my door. He said, can I come in? I said, yeah. He said, can you, can you spend like a few minutes coaching me around something? I said, sure. He said, um, and this is, you know, 15 years ago, right? He said, I, I've put all these applications in. They all love me. You've been hearing me talk about it. No one is calling me back. No one. And I said, so looks like you're unemployed and you've got a lot of free time. And he said, yep, <laughs> but I want to be employed. I said, so what are you, what are you going to, what are you going to get to get to enjoy since you don't have a job to go to? And he said, well, LSU football is starting. So there's that. And I said, so are you going to miss that? Sounds like you're going to miss football if you're working. He said, yeah. I said, he said, yeah, that, that's a bummer. I said, well, what do you think people do that are always working during the football season and they're never around for a game? And he said, well, I don't know. I guess they could DVR the games. And that was kind of, you know, and I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I guess they could. And he said, oh, God, why did I not think of that? And I said, I don't know, but we can DVR the games. He said, oh, his phone started vibrating. (laughs) I'm getting a call. He said, oh, it's the call from the last interview I had. And he said, oh, there's a text from the other interview. (laughs) I'm telling you, I've had this happen so many times. I've had this happen so many times that while I'm on the phone with a client, in this case, my client was my son and standing there in my room. But while I'm on the phone with a client, when I can get that resistance to dissolve a little bit, the call has come through the call they've been waiting for the call that they've been struggling about. It's not coming in. They say, Oh my gosh, hold on. I'm getting a call right now. I've had it happen a number of times. It's always so much fun, but see, he had a payoff for not getting that job. He was going to get to be able to watch all the games live. I love the way you went after that too, because you could have gone into an analysis about, well, you know, when we things don't come into our lives, it's because we're doing this, that, and the other thing. But you didn't do that. What you did was you said, so what will you do if you don't have a job? The opposite of what he was aiming for. You went over there and looked for a silver lining in the opposite of what he was aiming for. Right. Yeah. That's a really, that's a great strategy. And it's one that we often overlook, I think, when we're dealing with stuff like, I really want this thing to happen. We don't look at, well, what would happen if, is, if it didn't happen know. and what would we get out of it? <laughs> I, I had a, a, a conversation with someone who was going to hire me or thinking about hire me. Uh, and what they said to me on the discovery call was that I just wanted to know a little bit about them and, mm-hmm. and why they wanted to hire me. And they said, because everything in my life is fantastic, except one thing. I am highly, highly qualified in the area that I consult for. And I, and I can't seem to get a client to save my life. Like, and I don't understand why it was the same sort of situation, right? Like people told them, Oh yeah, we're going to hire you. But then they didn't. And I said, well, you know, tell me what else is going on in your life. And then, and then they began to tell me what their schedule was like. And literally from, you know, from the time they woke up until the time they went to sleep, they had fun things going on. They were meeting with groups to, to play games, to practice meditation. They were going to classes to learn about new things. Their schedule was so packed that number one, I couldn't see how they could fit a consulting client in. (laughs) And number two, they were having so much fun with all Mm, of it. Right. And it was so obvious to me that, okay, well, I see what's going on here. Why would you want a client? Why would you want one more thing on your plate when your schedule's full and you're having a great time? Sure. But, but here's the thing. It's really hard to see when it's us. Yes. That's the point. (laughs) (laughs) It was really easy for me to recognize in someone else 
right? Because I am on the outside looking in and because I don't have an, a dog in this fight, right? <laughs> I, I don't, it's not, it's not about me. So it's really easy to see, but when, but when it is me, I mean, you know, look, I, coaches hire coaches, you know, and when, when someone coaches me, I know it's easy for them to see, but I'm hiring them because I just can't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so difficult for us to see these things? I mean, I know that they're part of what we are not normally focusing our attention on. So it's not going to be part of our normal thought process. But even so, when we become aware of this, I mean, this is not a topic we've never talked about before. We've talked about that here on the show. Oh, I God, know yeah. other people have talked about this kind of thing. Why is this such a blind spot? I don't know. You know, the, the other thing that's funny is, and I, I might have talked about this one thing before. Um, most of our listeners probably know about EFT or tapping. Mm -hmm. right. They call it tapping. I know that tapping is super effective. Mm -hmm. It's like a miracle for a lot of people, right? And I know it works for me. But when I'm in a place where I recognize tapping would help, I have the hardest time bringing myself to do it. I resist it so hard. And I don't understand why. You know, that's like if I had a migraine and someone was handing me a remedy that I knew worked, mm -hmm. <laughs> I would just take the remedy. Just take but it. Go for it. it. But in this case, I'll think about it and think about it and not do it. And I was working with somebody recently that I was giving them an exercise, like coach homework, you know, assignment. I was saying, right. this is what I want you to do. And they resisted it so hard, like, mm -hmm. and they knew it was going to work. And they kept saying, well, maybe if I blah, blah, blah. And I was like, finally said, I'm going to gently and lovingly call you out that you're looking for a magic bullet because I'm giving you this work to do that will take 15 minutes if you'll just do it. And when they finally did it, um, the phone call came. It's always a phone <laughs> call. Um, and so I don't know why I do it too. I resist it too. Why do we resist? I don't know. The only thing I can think of <laughs> is we, we talk um, about what, the, what science tells us and what the positive psychologists talk, tell us, they, they tell right. us about the amygdala. They tell us about, you know, the, the lizard brain, yes. as it's often called, yes. um, and how we have a built-in filtering mechanism there that basically keeps showing us more and more of what we focus our attention on. You know, the, the classic example being, you know, the blue car, you buy a blue car and all of a sudden blue cars are everywhere. Particular activation. Yes. A particular activation. Right. Yes. And that process also is how we filter stuff out because uh, apparently yes. from what we're told we're, we have you know thousands and thousands of inputs coming into our senses and we can't process them all so we only end up processing a sm processing a small subset of them and the rest get filtered out so presumably this stuff is the stuff that gets filtered out and i'm going to suggest it's probably because we aren't paying attention to it well you know i keep saying i'm gonna and i've said this on this on our podcast like before i, I wish i could need to write it on a post-it, those numbers of what you just said, that the number of bits of information coming in and the number that we filter out, which is like 99.9%, .9%, mm -hmm. the number that we actually process, it's so small. Right. And that's why, you know, there's, I know I, sh I showed my rock the other day, <laughs> <laughs> my rock that looks like a face that has a hole through it. it, has a hole in um, it but the idea that everything we want is already here. Quantum physics would tell us that law of attraction teachers tell us that, mm -hmm. that what we want is already here. But like you said, and there's also the idea of neural connections. Yes. Like we think we, we think in a very automatic way. We react and respond in a very automatic way. Certain things that happen, we just, we respond in an automatic way. And, and if it, if it's a way that's that we're used to, then it, it feels easy. Those neural connections just fire. We have like grooves, you know, we're in a groove. And so, yeah, I think that's what it is. We resist what doesn't feel easy. We resist what doesn't feel natural or what doesn't come naturally to us. Mm. Um, that's why some of these processes as a coach, some of the homework and stuff that I will give people, we'll do it. We'll do it every day we'll do mm -hmm. it for weeks it starts to get really easy our, the way our brain is thinking starts to change we change our brain it's neuroplasticity right we 
actually, this, this always blows my mind is that we actually change the, the brain and then it thinks differently. Yeah. So part of that is identity and stories that we're telling. And some of them, like you said, they're subconscious. We don't even, we don't even know they're happening. It's amazing science really is. (laughs) It just occurred to me, we use the terms conscious, subconscious, unconscious, and we talk about stuff in our awareness and outside of our awareness. I think we could honestly say unconscious or subconscious is just stuff that's outside of our awareness. Yeah, right. That's pretty much what it is, right? I mean, it's not, it's not like we yeah. don't know that it was ever there. We knew it was there at some point or we were aware of it at some point, but we're just not paying attention to it. So it's outside of our awareness. That's why the, that mindfulness practices are so powerful. Like I know I've told this before, but at some point I started meditating at the end of the day when I would go to bed right before I went to sleep was the last thing I would do. I would start thinking about, because I was trying to bring my mind to a place where I was always finding things to appreciate, Mm. right? Because gratitude, appreciation. And so I started thinking, what is something today that I smelled that I appreciate, that I heard, that I tasted, that I saw, you know, that I touched all five senses. And I, I was at the beginning, I had the most beautiful, amazing little Maltese puppy dog. And I had a coffee press and a coffee bean grinder. So every morning I would make the best coffee. And I realized that every night I would say, what did I taste? Oh, that coffee was so good. What did I touch? Oh, my little puppy. It was always the coffee and the puppy and the chocolate and the, you know, it was like the same list. And I said, okay, not allowed to do that anymore. Got to think of something new every time. And it was really hard at first. I would, I would think, hmm, what did I hear today, you know? And it would either be someone I loved, I heard their voice, or I heard music or whatever. Right. About two weeks into doing this, two weeks into making sure it was different every day, uh, somebody sent me some roses, and I was walking by them, and I caught a whiff of their beautiful scent. And my mind immediately said, oh, good, I can put that on the list for the smell for tonight. Oh, nice. And then it hit me. Yeah. My brain was changing. That's right. And it was, you know, and one of the things I'm doing right now is is in my journal is asking myself, like, what's the most profound thought you had today? Mm -hmm. So I'm training my brain because... For the first few weeks, I was writing. Hey, I don't think I had a profound thought today. <laughs> right? It was a short so journal entry, but it was effective. <laughs> right, right. It's kind of like the, in the dream entry. I go, no recall. Don't remember my dream. Don't remember my dream. Don't remember my dream. But in doing that, suddenly, like you'll ask anybody that's kept a dream journal, even if they wrote down for three weeks solid, I don't remember my dream. I don't remember my dream suddenly they'll start remember because you're training your brain to pay attention. Mm. And so I'm training my brain to pay attention to thoughts that are profound in the meditation practice. I trained my brain to pay attention to using all my senses. There's a reason why I did this. The easiest way to bring yourself into the present moment is to pay attention to your senses. If I were to ask you, well, what's the temperature in the room that you're in? Does it feel Mm -hmm. cool? Does it feel warm? Does it feel just right? You know, can you hear any sounds? Like right now I just heard some cars go by my office window, you know, bringing yourself into the present moment. That's the quickest way. And so I realized that by opening my awareness all day long to be paying attention, because tonight I got a test, right? The test Mm -hmm. is going to be, what did you see? What did you hear (laughs) that you appreciated? By doing that, I was opening my awareness all day and what was that doing it was putting me in the present moment all day Mm. and what is in the present moment all our power all our creative potential all of our magic it's in the present moment very true yeah and in that present moment we're able to make the differentiations that allow us to shift our awareness Mm -hmm. because that's really what you're talking about you're talking about what steps you take to shift your awareness to yeah. something new to kind of expand your horizons a little bit. Yeah. 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 That, 
that's a cool trick. It's a cool. It's more than a trick. That's actually that. That's more like that. That gets back to the neuroplasticity we were talking about a moment ago. Basically, training the brain to see more, to experience more, to to handle more. Which I guess in and of itself is stressful because there's a change involved there. But I would call that a healthy stress. I would call that a stress that actually leads to, among other things, less resistance. It leads to, and I, to me. Once I learned that concept of resistance, that was a biggie for me, learning that that was something that even existed. Because once I understood it was there, my first goal was to do whatever I can to let go of resistances, no matter what they were, no matter if whether I was aware of them or not, because I knew when I did that, I was going to have a fuller life. I was going to have a more abundant life. When you first learned about resistance, how did you understand it? I didn't. <laughs> that was the problem. Well, I don't mean scientifically. I mean, what did you understand resistance to be when you first learned about it? I didn't. That, I'm, not, I'm quite serious. I didn't understand what they were saying. I, it was Abraham Hicks' okay, teaching that okay. I was listening to. And and when I was, I can't remember if it was, I think it was one of the books. I can't remember which book it was, but one of the books was talking about it. And when I read it, I had to read it like two or three times, which we've talked about before. Abraham Hicks books, they, they look like they're saying the same thing over and over again. You have to kind of really <laughs> dig into it to, to grasp what they're talking about. So when they came up with this concept of resistance, my first reaction was to say, what the heck are they talking about? I don't understand this. I had to kind of go over it a few times before I finally began to grasp the idea that for me anyway, and this is the way I started to understand it, answering your question. For me, resistance was all of the different ways that I am not allowing myself to get into that great feeling about the thing I really did want. Instead, I was finding all these different ways to not get into that feeling, to not get into that imaginary space. I was justifying in so many different ways why I couldn't have whatever it was I wanted. And that was mind boggling. And what was even worse from my perspective at that time was I had also learned that I had all these thoughts going through my head and I was supposed to monitor all these thoughts. It's like, oh my God, this is overwhelming. <laughs> How the hell do you do this? <laughs> yeah. What do they say? 60,000 thoughts a day? Yeah. And, and every, not everyone, but like a large chunk of them all having resistances attached to them. I, I, I figured <laughs> I might go, I'm going to throw in the cards here. I just, I'm done. <laughs> I don't know what yes, to do. <laughs> for people that automatically love spreadsheets, that really. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Fortunately, then they go right into the next step, which well, you don't have to monitor the thoughts, just monitor the feelings. So, oh, okay, mm. that's a lot easier. I can handle that one. <laughs> so that helped a lot. But yeah, yeah, I was resistant to the thought of resistance. Yeah, that's what I was just talking about. Yeah. Like I'm I'm going, I'm giving you a specific tool that dissolves resistance and mm. you're resisting it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so what something you said though that's so important is what you said is the way you understood it is all the ways that you were not allowing yes and i we don't even have to finish the sentence right it's like, the blank all the ways you were not allowing yeah and and i think for me what i learned about resistance pretty far into knowing about resistance like years of knowing about resistance and then learning that there are two forms of resistance, right? And in, in, in tantric thought, in Buddhism, it was known as, um, it will be aversion and attachment. Okay. So I think, I think in the beginning, when I heard about resistance, you know, if I said, stop resisting to someone, it would be like, stop saying no to this. Like there's an opportunity here and you're resisting it, that kind of mm -hmm. thing, right? You're saying mm -hmm. no to this thing. But what I learned is that it's not always saying no. Saying no is the resistance that falls into the aversion category. We're right, averse right. to it. We're like, no, 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 I don't want that to happen. But then there's the attachment. Mm -hmm. That's when we're saying yes in a, in a way that's graspy. Yes. Like I have to have it. It has to happen. I want it to work out this way. It's got to be my way. I want that that thing why isn't that thing coming where's my thing right mm -hmm. that's resistance too it is and, it, and, and it's, it's a very like, peculiar kind of resistance it's a kind that it's almost insidious because you think you're really wanting the thing and what's yes. actually happening is right. you're like you were talking about before you have this alternative you know subtle little um sub program going on that says well what i really have is this benefit of not having this thing and i'm going to keep playing that tape 
there's a there's either a payoff or a counter intention mm. and those are under the surface and we often don't know them and i'm it's always so exciting to find one <laughs> i'm not sure if i call it seriously realize that. that we can start allowing say oh you know just like just like my son did it's like mm. oh my gosh yeah and then you know he had a job the next day to me, the excitement is more along the lines of not just that I found it, but that I started to let go of it because that well, feels good. That's a relief. I, I think it's fairly, I think that most of the time anyway, um, and maybe require some work, maybe require some coaching, but uh, most of the time that part is sort of automatic. Hopefully. Mm. Like, right, mm-hmm. like finding it, we, and we don't always have to find it. We don't have to hunt for payoffs, but when they show themselves to us, sometimes it's kind of a relief because sometimes they're really silly. Like my son it was like, oh, my gosh, this is about LSU football. Really? Like, you know, uh, yeah, we'll just DVR it. And, and I can ask for those days off like this isn't that. But I mean, I, you know, we can say it's a coincidence. Oh, yeah. We, we actually oh. and I just had something like that yesterday. I think it was yesterday or the day before. I can't remember which. Um, one of the things that we'd like to do is to envision what our ideal house would be. And, and we're getting closer and closer to being able to get that house. Um, but I, I have this video. I, I had posted it on the Pivot Palace group. So people who are regular listeners may have already seen this video. It's a video I play for myself every day. It's about eight minutes long. And it includes a segment that has scenes from a house that a uh, contractor in Michigan, I think it was, had put together selling his services. And I liked a lot of the elements. So I made that part of my video. Well, I played it with my wife and she liked a lot of it, but the parts of it that she wanted different. So I said, well, why don't you come up with some alternative images? We'll make another video that's for our house, you know, and you know, I'll go over them too and make sure, yes, I like those too. And once we found it, we'll, we'll jointly, we'll basically be doubling or multiplying our efforts um, in terms of putting out our, our vision and putting out our intentions because we're going to be focused on the same thing. She liked that idea too. And then she spent the next couple of months, really, because really, this, this was based on a conversation we originally had and then we started uh, again the other day. Originally, she started doing this for about a couple months, and she couldn't find anything. Everything oh. that she looked at was not what she wanted. Come to find out. Now, we have this long history of doing open houses and checking out what's on the real estate market. She'd been looking at all the houses that were actually out there. And I said to her, well, you're not limited to that. You know, you could be looking at designer kitchens and designer bedrooms and designer bathrooms. Never occurred to her. Like, oh, my God, how did I forget that? Right, right. <laughs> and it just built her whole excitement level back up. She was ready to throw in the towel the other day. Oh she my gosh! Say, you know, we, we're going to have to put this on hold for a while because I can't find anything. And I pointed Remember? this out to her, and she got a whole new level of excitement because she had basically been blocking this great resource yeah. section on Google. You got this whole Google Images thing she filtering it out. It. Yeah, it was just filtered out. That's it's right. Just out just outside of the awareness, right? Yeah. Yep. And and when you were telling that story, I was thinking about when we were reading one of the Neville books mm-hmm. that had a lot of stories about real estate. Yeah. The people that had the most ridiculous desire list. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah. I was like, what? Like the things they wanted in this house <laughs> were, it was so ridiculous. And they end up finding the exact house like that. It's That's right. Like, so yeah, we can, uh, we can go beyond those automatic things but sometimes we don't see that we're doing it that's yeah. a great story it really does illustrate it doesn't it <laughs> yeah and, yeah and now she's my, my, interest finding all my first thought too after after i gave her that little piece and she got all excited so she's been doing some work since then trying to find <laughs> stuff but my first thought was okay well i helped her find that one now what am i blocking because <laughs> there's probably something i'm blocking too you know? yeah right <laughs> Well, we all are. We all are. We all do this, this stuff, right? It's like um, life on earth. <laughs> I guess part of it is just, it's just being willing to admit, okay, well, I don't have to get it all right the first time. It's not like I have to achieve perfection. It's just one thing after another that's a little bit better than the last thing. If I can just stay on that track, I'm going to end up with good results, not worry too much about it. But still, it's that little niggling piece that kind of hands back there. And the fact that I got that little niggling piece back there tells me I'm resisting. (laughs) 
because it's like, I find myself saying to people sometimes one day at a time, mm. right? And what you said is just like, just a little bit better. Yeah. Just feeling a little bit better, imagining something a little bit better. Um, something that came up this week, you know, being a relationship coach, often the thing that I'm doing with people is helping people that don't have a relationship and want one. Mm-hmm. And now everybody is isolated. And I have people saying, what do I do now? Like I can't, and I'm encouraging people that number one, we have all of these fancy, you know, billions of billions of dollars worth of technology that help (laughs) us communicate with each other. Right. We have social media, we have you know, we're here on this podcast looking at each other and I'm down here in Louisiana and you're up there in Connecticut and we can see each other and hear each other. And it's phenomenal. So there's that there's, this does not stop us from building relationship. No, it doesn't stop us from meeting people um, in numerous different ways. And that doesn't have to mean on a dating site either. Right. right. We get into conversations that are connected to podcasts like ours. We get into conversations that are connected to online threads and ideas. And there, there's all kinds of ways to meet people and to build relationship. As a matter of fact, it was it's interesting. You know, some of my best friends I've never met in person. <laughs> I, we have a plan to meet in person. But some of my very best friends that I've had for years, sure. I only know online. That's yeah. kind of amazing. It my, is. My mother would not understand. <laughs> right. Um, but the other thing I see that I saw happening with a client this week that was so exciting is that all of the things she's been doing since this happened is really, I would call self care in a very broad sense, right? But like just getting everything in order. Her house in order, health in order, diet in order, furnishings the way they want them, um, job and work and projects and all of that suddenly is coming into order. And I had such a thought while I was listening and smiling about all of this. Mm. Oh, you're, you just made space for this to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because when every other part of our life is not in order, then inviting a relationship in is even harder. Mm-hmm. True. And I learned that not from a book. I learned that by experience. And it just, I learned looking back on it, I could see it. Mm-hmm. Is that during the five years before I met my husband, it wasn't that my life was in disorder, but I had had a divorce and I had had a change of career. So there was a lot of changes going on. And I focused on getting all of that in order. I got everything where it was in order and I was living a really great life that I loved. Why? Because there was order. And then I met my husband. And so I think what you just said is like feeling a little bit better, looking for what would be a little bit better, Um, like little small incremental changes in our attitude, in our thought processes, in our physical surroundings, in our schedule, in our routines, Um, lessening habits that don't serve us. We might not ever eliminate them, but just lessening them, right? Like we don't. I I know I'm a big believer in like small steps because they last. They do. Big dramatic changes often don't last. Right. Right. Yeah. But you're talking about what Dan Mangana calls micro shifting. Talk about that. Micro shifting, essentially what you just said, little steps, little tiny shifts in awareness and in focus and perception and thinking about stuff, just little shifts, little things, little steps. Not going for you know the big kahuna, just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that's really um, powerful is what a friend of mine calls habit stacking. Ooh, I like the term. I like it too. Um, 
So it's, it's that if you want to develop a new habit, that you stack it on top of a habit that you already have. So, so, uh, you know, an idea would be, um, let's say you don't take vitamins and you wanted to start taking vitamins. Well, if you could take them every day when you ate breakfast, I mean, it's just a really simple example, but it's like you're stacking that habit on the other habit, but you, you put it, you attach it to a habit you already do every day mm-hmm. or however many, you know, however often you want to do the new habit, you find another thing that you can connect it to. And pretty soon you're doing it automatically because you've connected it to this other habit. So it's just an easy way to start to bring in new behavior. And, you know, new thoughts are going to create new behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? That's true. New yeah. thoughts are going to create new feelings. And our behavior is always feeling based. Very much so. Yeah, that's a really good thing to remember. And, and <laughs> it also occurs to me here, we, we always make Wednesdays about relationships. So I'm asking myself, okay, there is a theme here. What is the theme here that's a relationship? And I, as soon as I asked the question, I knew what the answer was. It's the relationship between ourselves and our minds. That's yeah. what we're talking about here. Well, it's always where we start because yeah. everything in our experience is directly connected to our sense of identity. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's the story we tell about ourselves, right? So our relationships, our financial situation, our environment, uh, our success levels in whatever it is we're doing. I mean, all it's all connected to who we think we are. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And so, yeah, you're right about that is it's all the relationship between ourself and our mind, our thought processes. If we realize that our thoughts create feelings and our feelings always create actions, our actions create results. I say I, I stress that about our feelings because we always we do this funny thing. We make a decision and it's always based on feelings. Mm-hmm. And then we double back and we find some logic so that we can justify that it was the of right course. decision. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how we work. It's always, <laughs> always based on feelings. So if it's our thoughts that produce those feelings, mm-hmm. our thoughts around a circumstance, then it's very important that we learn how to choose our thoughts. Like how to deliberately you know, we talk about deliberately creating, but deliberately creating our own story mm-hmm. and our own thoughts about a thing. Because you can take a hundred people that are all in the very same circumstance and they will all have different thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. It's like they will, we all make things mean something, but it's the allocation of meaning. That's something we do. Things don't have meaning. We give things meaning. So when we do that, we start creating a story. And I've heard you say this before. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's like a belief is what? It's just a thought that you think over and over. Over and over. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Which I always found to be astonishing because I would have thought that a belief was something that, you know, kind of had a life of its own and, you know, you're passing it from one person to the next and so forth. Never occurred to me that the belief just started with one person thinking about it and it just became a belief. Yes. I had this revelation about, I don't know, I want to say five or six years ago. It's like, it occurred to me. It sounds so stupid. You know, anytime you try to tell somebody of an epiphany you had, it always Mm -hmm. sounds like, really? (laughs) Um, Okay. But when you have the epiphany, it's like, oh, that's right. And I had this, epiphany that I get to choose my beliefs. Mm. They don't have, they don't, they're not just put on you. They may be put on you, right? When we're, when we're kids, when we're babies, when we're growing up, we have lots of people putting their beliefs on us right? Mm -hmm. and saying, this is the way it is. Um, And then at some point, you know, we start to take in other thoughts and ideas and we may change some of our beliefs. I mean, I think if we're growing, we're going to be able to say, well, I used to believe this and I don't believe that anymore. And I don't mean just religious beliefs. I mean, any kind of belief. Um, because we learn more things and, and we expand our mind. Mm-hmm. And so I think that so many people, though, have a belief. I say that with quotes around it. 
And they don't think they have a choice around that belief. Like they may even say things like, that's what I was taught, or I've always believed that, right? Or they, they have a sense that for them to decide they don't believe it, that would be wrong, or that would be, in, you know, uh, disrespectful to whoever taught them that belief, or, or disrespectful to the belief itself. And it was a big mind blowing experience and energy shifter, everything shifter, life changer. When I realized I can choose to believe anything I want. I get to make the choice. I get to make the call. And like, you know, this about me, I rarely even talk about beliefs anymore. I usually say, I don't believe anything. I just like to entertain possibilities. So, but it's the thoughts, the thoughts and the stories. You don't have to have thoughts that you don't want. <laughs> that's, right. that, that's a very powerful place. You're right. That That's when you recognize that. I found that when I recognize that anyway, I'll speak for myself. That was a position of power and it's a position of peace, of inner peace. And we talk about how this uh, relationship that we have with our mind is kind of reflective of all of our relationships. We were giving some great examples of that a few moments ago. Ultimately, when we are developing this relationship with our own mind, with our own self, we are making the other kinds of relationships possible because the most important one is the one that we have with ourselves. And when we're at peace with ourselves, when we're feeling good about ourselves, when we feel good about our relationship with our mind, with our thought process, with our choices, you know, with our beliefs, what are we believing? What are we choosing to believe? What are we choosing not to believe? And so forth. When we're feeling good about that, all of a sudden we're attracted to other people just because we made peace with ourselves. That's right. That's right. And one of the things I love to remember is that, you know, that whole Jerry Maguire thing, the movie, right? It was like, you complete me. No, yeah. no. <laughs> we, we are whole. I am whole in myself. I don't, I don't need anybody to complete me. And neither do you. No. Like, we are whole people in ourselves, And it's that when we get to that place, you know, my husband is a whole person. He doesn't need me to complete him. Mm -hmm. The two of us make a whole couple. Right. We make a marriage and our marriage is complete. Both of us are in it, but we're whole on ourselves. And I think that there's, that's such a place of power. And when you get to that place where you know you are whole and you don't need someone else to complete you, you may definitely want someone to enjoy this journey of life with, but you don't need someone else to be complete. Why? Because everything that you desire your happiness, <laughs> your, you know, is, is within you. Right. If you think that your happiness has to come from someone else, then you're not quite there yet. And that's the, that's where you work, right? You work to, to find that you are the source of your own everything. And when you get there, then the potentials for a healthy relationship just open up. And I think also it's important to look at the flip side and recognize that when you're looking to have somebody else complete you, what you're really saying is, there's a piece of me that I don't want to work on that if I were to work on would make me a stronger person, but I'm too lazy to do that. So I want somebody else to do it for me. That way I don't have to do any growing. I don't well, have to improve. I don't have to change in any way. I can stay in that nice safe zone. I've always been in and all they have to do is just mold themselves around me and I'll be happy. I don't think, that, I don't think, I don't think most of those thoughts are conscious though. No, no, they're um, not. I think that if you watch any kind of, you know, movies at all we've been sold this kind of bill of goods that that other people are supposed to make us happy right that you know that that's the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is i just found the perfect you know person to be with and it's like yes it's a wonderful thing to find somebody that you feel like you're a match to and that you have a healthy relationship with but they're not there it's not their responsibility to provide you with happiness and it's also a great source of frustration and anger and, and dissonance in the <laughs> yeah. relationship because you, you keep looking for them to keep filling that gap. And then they when they decide to stop filling the gap because they're getting bored with it or they've got other interests in their mind or whatever, and all of a sudden the relationship is falling apart. Oh, my God, 
my ex left me. Oh, how do I get my ex back? You know? How do I get my ex back? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I haven't had one of those in a while. You know, every once in a while I get a flurry of emails uh, or people. Sorry, I didn't mean to mention that. I didn't want to draw more into your relationships there, you know. Because <laughs> they, they, they want to get their ex back. And of yeah. course, it's always the same question, is, you know, especially with some people that are like, no, they won't return my calls or my texts. They've told me they don't want anything to do with me and my heart is broken and I have to have them back. And I'm like, there's a lot of work for us to do somewhere else if 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 the thing you really want is to be with someone that doesn't want you. True mm, enough. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Enough. So yeah, so it's like it's uh it's all within us. And, and the worst part about that stance, I mean the, I think you very accurately described a stance that the person takes who wants to have that other person back. The, the worst part about it is they are basically making themselves dependent upon somebody else for their own happiness. Yeah. That is just, I, I don't think that when they ask the question, how can I get my ex back? They really understand what it is they're asking for. You know, I was speaking to someone one time that had a college age daughter and we weren't talking about the daughter. Uh, but we were, I was speaking with her and she was in a relationship that wasn't really healthy and she was confused about, you know, what to do. And I, and I just asked her what she, how she would feel if, if the relationship she was in was the relationship her daughter was in. Mm. And immediately, you know, this is another one of those things. It's so hard when it's going on in our life, but we look right. at someone else's life. Right. And it's the same kind of thing. It's that if, you know, if it's someone else, we realize right away that they're not valuing their self very much. If that's what, if that's what they want for themselves is someone who doesn't even care about them. Mm. I'm like, no, what you really want for yourself is someone that's just wild about you and wants to be with you and accepts you the way you are and, and wants to spend time with you. Um, which is what you would want, which, what, what, what most health, healthy, normal people would want, like for their daughter, right? Or their son. It's like, no, right. I want them to have a partner that, that, uh, cares about them and treats them well. Yeah. <laughs> the very bottom level there just cares about them and treats them well. And so it's hard. I don't know why sometimes they're, it's hard to see for, for ourselves. But well, I, mean, I think we touched on it earlier. I mean, it's the best explanation I've come up with. And I think it's, we kind of reinforce it a, a number of different ways. It's outside of our awareness. And so because it's outside of our awareness, we just aren't aware of it. That's what A leads to B. It's outside of my awareness. I don't know about it. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the things that we've talked about this week that I think if you're, if you're in isolation and, and you were somebody that before this whole pandemic, you were wanting to find uh, a relationship with someone, wanting to find a partner, mm -hmm. uh, recognize that you can still be in the place where you're getting ready for that. Yes. Oh yeah. Right. I don't know about you. I don't know about your clients. I have been blown away by how my list of things to do during the lockdown at home has increased. Now I have all this extra time and I should be able to get through the list and, and clear it out. It's actually gotten longer. Well, you know, I, okay. The extra time thing. We, we've been hearing that from the beginning. And we hear it from some people who sort of presuppose that everyone now has extra time. Yes. I was hearing someone talk about that they had an hour commute each way, mm. right? Plus getting up and getting dressed a certain way and getting, you know, whatever they would do to get ready to go out the door, to drive for an hour or more to get to work. And then they're at work. And, and they have an maybe an hour for lunch, which mm -hmm. if you work from home, like I work from home, my home office, I usually don't take an hour for lunch because I just yeah. get hungry and I go eat something and I come back and do whatever I'm doing. Um, and then they have an hour drive home. In that situation, and especially if, if they're not homeschooling kids suddenly, I'm like, okay, I can see that now they have two hours of time that they would have been commuting. It's like extra time. I'm making air quotes, extra time. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I look at myself um, and what our schedule and our routine was two days a week. I didn't work from home. And so I would be working out of an office, uh, my other office. And in that case, I would be going to lunch and dinner with my husband out somewhere. 
on the weekends, usually brunch was out somewhere, right? So I realized today that I would pretty much cook about four or five meals a week when we weren't in this situation. And now it's 14 or 15 meals a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like part of what my duties are have tripled. Mm -hmm. This does not make for extra time. No, it doesn't make for less. It's true. (laughs) Right? But there are little things that sometimes we don't think about, like, um, like laundry and stuff in this situation, if we're out about at all, which we're not out and about a lot, but it's like, I don't know, they want you to wash your clothes. Like, you don't just say, oh, I'll wear the same thing tomorrow and hang it up. It's got to be laundered. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of extra domestic chores that are going on for people. Um, and then some people are also suddenly not only working from home, but homeschooling kids. So I don't know. Well, I don't know that everybody has extra time <laughs> <laughs> well let's just say it's a popular uh, theme that's out there it may not actually be right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe if we keep talking about it suddenly time will expand and we'll feel like we have some extra time well, well there is the joke you know that that went around because of the pandemic february was a month long right. march was six weeks long and april was five years long <laughs> and i saw a t-shirt and said the year 2020 is interesting leap year with february has 29 days march has uh, like you said, March has 300 days and April has five years. Somebody's like, right. yeah, yeah. So in that sense, we have expanded time. I've lost all track of time. I, I, today I said to my group, I said, happy Wednesday. How is everyone? It actually feels like a Wednesday to me. So I must be okay today because last week on Wednesday, I thought it was Friday all day, even though I knew we did the podcast it the, just the day just didn't feel like the day it was supposed to be. So I've lost all track of time. I think. <laughs> well, you know, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe that's actually a pretty good thing. Maybe not. You know, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. This will be a good kind of maybe point to close on today. But the idea that resistance, which we talked about earlier, whether it's attachment or aversion, it's all connected to us being in control, right? Mm. I don't want this. I do want that, right? I want to control the way it is. And also when we set about to use deliberate creative uh, methods, often we've talked about this hundreds of times. We often immediately go to the how. Yes. Oh, yes. How how are we going to get this to happen? Right. And again, that's us wanting to control Mm -hmm. how it happens. And with this pandemic, we have all, most of us anyway, I would think, experienced the sense that we're not in control. We're not in control. We don't know what this thing's going to do. We can't stop it. We don't have any control over it, right? And the, the silver lining that I see of that is that we've all had to relax our sense of control a little bit and realize we don't have control. And in doing that, we're letting go of resistance. That's true. That's very cool. I like that. That's a really good point. We've been looking for silver linings and that came up in a coaching conversation and I realized, huh? Yeah. I'm watching people say, well, surprisingly this and that have kind of come together. I'm like, yeah, it's because we're less resistant right now because we have had to say I'm not in control. I I don't know. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Hey, I want to make sure before uh, we run out of time here to let people know, first of all, if you listen to the live stream, which is a very, very small percentage of our audience, but those who do listen to the, to the live stream, tomorrow's show, instead of running from four to five New York time, will run from five to six New York time. And the reason for that is we have a special guest joining us. This is somebody, I, I was doing some research and I found this person and I invited her onto the show. I think she's going to be a really interesting interview. Her name is Dr. Luana Koloka, I hope I'm not mispronouncing her name. She's from the University of Maryland School of Nursing. And she, among other things, pursues studies regarding placebo and nocebo. And the reason I'm having her on is she is currently involved in a study of placebo, nocebo, and COVID-19. Now, she won't be able to talk about the study because obviously they're in the middle of it right now, but she is going to come on to talk about placebo and nocebo effects and in a, in a more general way, why she's interested in it and so forth. And I, I just think it's going to be a fascinating look, kind of a different look. We've been looking at this whole pandemic thing from a variety of viewpoints. This one's not one I've heard a lot about. 
So that's why I wanted to bring her onto the show. So Dr. Luana Kuloka is going to be joining us tomorrow. It'll be live streamed five to six. Obviously, it will appear um, as part of our list of programs that comes out every week um, in the uh, in the feed for the, uh, the podcast. And that leads to my other uh, reminder, which is if you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, please become one. If you're not sure how to do it, go to LOAToday.net. And at the top of the page, it will give you instructions on how to do it so that you can be subscribed and getting things like this interview with Dr. Coloca tomorrow. So something to look forward to. Um, but in the meantime, as usual, Cindy, your insights are absolutely inspirational. Thanks so much for everything wow. you share on a daily basis, particularly this one. This was really good. I mean, you had some good stuff. We both had some good stuff in this show. I, I learned a lot. And, and that's always a good thing for me. I, I always have fun. I have fun. Always too. Great. Yep. Yep. So thank Bye you very much. Thank you also to our podcast listeners as well. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.